Before we start, this episode includes conversations you might find difficult to hear. So do check the show notes if you want more details before listening. Hello and welcome to Happy Place with me, Fern Cotton. This is the place where we can learn about the world and ourselves by hearing other people's stories. Today, I'm chatting to Jono Lancaster. One night, I'm not seeing my face, not even working in a gym, surrounded by mirrors, I've not seen my face in so long. But I accidentally went up and I saw my face. And I looked at my face when I was 21 years old. And I saw that I had blue eyes. And I hadn't seen my blue eyes in so long. And I smiled. And I was like, oh my God, I love the colour of my eyes. And as I smiled, I realised when I smile, I have one dimple at the side. And I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. That was a powerful, powerful moment. I first met and became aware of Jono through the medium of Instagram. It was probably around the time of the pandemic where we were all on our phones a hell of a lot. And I started following Jono's work on Instagram, hearing him speak so fluently and eloquently about his own story and really promoting self-love, which is something that at times I really need to focus on and something I believe we all collectively need to put a lot more effort into. To me, Jono Lancaster is the expert of self-love and we've become great friends over the last couple of years, which has been a real bonus too. Jono was born with a facial difference that means he felt he didn't fit in. And as you'll hear, he's been on a huge journey to reach a point of self-acceptance. Maybe you were at last year's Happy Place Festival and heard him giving his wonderful life-affirming talk. I mean, people were whooping from that tent. Well, now he's written a book called Not All Heroes Wear Capes, which is published by Happy Place Books, I'm proud to say. It details his experience growing up, finding it increasingly hard to love his face, despite huge support and care from his adoptive mum in such an image-conscious world. Because of what he's been through and what he's learned along the way, Jono's incredibly passionate about helping the rest of us find our own self-love too. So I really hope this chat will make you start challenging why you don't like certain parts of yourself and give you the confidence to start changing that narrative. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, here it is. Here's the show. Jono, it's so lovely to see you today. <laughs> I'm going to say it's lovely to see you, but it's terrifying. <laughs> I'm 
not that scary. You're not. You're not, honestly. Um, no, thank you so much for having me. Um, but we're talking about things that, they're not just a story. Like, these are things that are so deep within myself and don't matter how many times I talk about them, they bring all kinds of emotions out and it's not, nothing to I do with I won't take it you. personally. <laughs> no, don't, please don't take it personally. Uh, but it's just... So many emotions just come out, and um, I don't know if you saw me in there, but I was pacing up and down. I'm excited but nervous. No, I totally get it, and I I think it's really an important point because I do one of these every week. But I think for most guests, there is that feeling, or even if I'm doing a, a talk or or talking about any of my books, it, it is you know, and it's an emotional sort of journey to go through and you can end up feeling quite drained or if you've got nerves it can leave you feeling quite exhausted at the end and I'm deeply grateful that each week someone is willing to share their story and willing to talk because we know of how helpful that can be for people feeling alone or like they're going through something that's insurmountable. So I'll start, not end, by saying a big thank you for you being here today to to go through it. Because like you say, it's it's tiring and it's, it's a lot to go through this stuff. But we're doing it for important reasons. One, it's connective, but also, as well as being now a newer friend of yours, which I'm very happy about also, at Happy Place, we're publishing your debut book. Yeah, um, you know... Thank you for that introduction. That's that's beautiful. And you are such a beautiful person in ever since I've known you, you're like, I know this person and you need to be introduced to this person because you two are just gonna vibe and you're gonna connect and you're gonna add positivity in your life. I'm a matchmaker, and I love you, it. You are it's my favourite thing to do in and, all capacities. Yeah. And I think you have such a beautiful quality of, of doing that. And and then for me personally, you was such a big spark in the debut book that I've written. And um, yeah, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for giving me that platform. How was it writing that book? Because much like this discussion today, you go into great detail about your past, your childhood, what you're dealing with today even, and also the charity work that you're doing and the messages that you're getting out there. was I'm imagining there was a healing element, but I'm also imagining it was painful at times to write that book. Yeah. Um, I mean, you've written books before, and I'm sure whoever's written a book, I'm sure they go through similar things. But at first, I was, like, so excited. just Even just learning how to write a book... You know, I thought I start at the beginning and then just continue and then eventually work to the end. The editors and everybody who's helped me were just like, no, let's get with your chapters. And I was like, oh, that's a little bit exciting. So we put all the chapters down and then they were like, OK, let's share a few stories within each chapter. And, he, and then all of a sudden it was getting fatter and fatter. And straight away I went to my favourite stories. Oh, I'll, I'll write these down. And they were positive and they were healing. And then we were like, OK. Now, what about the deeper stuff? And I tried my best to try and get a routine. Like, I'm going to be at my desk at 10 o'clock and I'm going to have my coffee and I'm going to start writing. And then I'm going to finish by four. But I'd sit there and I'd be like, no, nothing's coming. But then I would 
go through my day, go to the gym, go yoga, do walking, listen to some music, and then I'd hear a song and then I'm like, ooh, trigger. I need to sit down and write that. And then I'd be writing, especially with music, I'd listen to a song and it'd take me back to that moment, to that day, and I'd be writing and I'd be crying. Like, oh, yeah. It, the journey of writing a book was just, I've been so, oh, every emotion. Yeah, you can tell reading it. You know, I texted you when I was reading it and it is, it's everything. It's got so much in there. And the feel of the book is a real celebration of the self, of being confident and self-accepting and self-compassionate, which is, yes, messaging we hear a lot, but messaging we need to hear a lot. Because I know even from being on Instagram and communicating with Happy Place followers and people that enjoy the work that we do, self-loathing or even just a disassociation of self because you can't accept or love yourself is so prevalent. And we were talking just off mic before, you know, you do these talks a lot and you're helping people all over the world with self-love. And to you, because you understand it and you practice it, you understand that it's difficult, but because it is almost a simplified equation now you understand how self-love works you're slightly perplexed as to why why are people still reacting with such sort of shock and awe and gratitude for this message but they are because it's so needed so many people out there are still deeply self-loathing I mean I've had periods of my own life where I've been so flattened by self-loathing I've barely been able to squeak a noise out of my mouth because I've been sort of too terrified but also it's felt irksome to hear my own voice you know I've I've definitely been there and there are so many people that have so the message of this book is really important but really we get to know you as a person which is so so important so for people that don't know the wonderful John O'Lancaster let's get to know you a bit better today as well as well as people reading the book I urge you to read the book so you were born with Treacher Collins for anyone that doesn't know what Treacher Collins is can you teach us a little bit about it Treacher Collins you're either born with it there might have been a family history mum dad grandparents and it's passed on through genetics for myself I am I was a sporadic mutation so no family history Treach Collins only affects the face. So for myself, I don't have any cheekbones. So that's why my eyes appear the way they do. My ears haven't developed properly. So I've got, call them my little Bart Simpson ears. They don't get cold in winter. They don't pop on flights. <laughs> I absolutely love them. Um, I, I, I'm hard of hearing. So I wear a hearing aid. Whenever mum was telling me off or shouting at me, the hearing aid went off and... Didn't have to listen to her. <laughs> um, you know, and that's how Treach Collins has affected me. In other cases, the jaw, mine's a little bit receded, but some individuals, the jaw's so receded and the airway so closed that they need a tracheostomy. Some um, need a feeding tube to help with feeding and some require oh, a lifetime of surgeries just to give them some sort of quality of life. It's one of those conditions that affects individuals on a, on a scale. That's just, yeah. yeah, endless spectrum. Yes. 
Now, what was really lovely to read in the book was that when you were a tiny kid, you didn't have any clue that there was any difference between you and your friends. You were a happy kid. You were a confident kid. And it seems that that was solely down to your wonderful mum, Jean. So tell us a bit about Jean. Uh, she, she's not even five foot. She's just this tiny human, but she's just got this massive heart, this endless amount of love that I just feel so incredibly blessed and lucky to have had her in my life. She met me at two weeks old and ever since she met me, she loved me, she celebrated me, she gave me the best foundation for me to live my best life. And not only did she do that for me, she fostered other children, so many other children with various disabilities. So I grew up in a home that had people with wheelchairs, people with various learning disabilities, um, emotional needs. Some of the children had braces, some of them had special shoes, some of them had harnesses, some had different ways of eating, and we were all celebrated. And I just feel incredibly lucky that I grew up in that environment because as I got older, I was like, yeah, this is this is just me. And I loved it. And I loved sharing my story that my mum went met me at two weeks old. And out of all the babies there, my mum chose me. You know, your mum and dad got stuck with you, but my <laughs> mum chose me and I just I celebrated everything mm. about myself. You know, when we got into water fights, I would absolutely soak the other kids with water bombs and then they would go to soak me and I'd be like, whoa, aim and aid. <laughs> you know, you can't, you can't wet me. And I just, I just, I loved my face. I loved my life. I didn't think it was my norm. And yeah, very lucky to have had that foundation. I mean, she is just the most amazing woman who has just done so many brilliant things for you and, and other children out there. But of course, there, and this is for all kids, this is a scary moment, going to high school where everything changes, you've been in the safety of, you know, either a small primary school, but certainly wrapped in that bubble of young childhood where, you know, you were lucky that you had this wonderful mum that celebrated you and gave you that confidence and foundation. But high school is the Wild West and you're meeting kids from all different areas and you're at that age where everyone's trying to figure out who they are. And that seemed in the book to be the point where your confidence started to really nosedive. So what was that period like from feeling very safe, which is fundamental for you to have confidence and exhibit it, to just feeling like your confidence had gone completely? That summer holidays before high school I was completely oblivious as what was about to happen I had so many friends at primary school I had friends on the street I would go to sports clubs I was just a happy kid and then went up to high school and all of a sudden there were kids there that hadn't seen me before and there, was, there were for two weeks where we were just the younger the first few years at high school you know the older kids started two weeks later and it was okay like it was it was nerve-wracking like they were pointing they were like oh have you seen that kid with the face I was a kid with the face you know and like, oh yeah that's Jono and there was that curiosity there and then the older kids started 
and that's when the jokes would come and I'm like oh I'm not prepared for this I'm not ready for this and I I struggled I I, I once had conversations with my mum and I'd ask her about my face and my birth family and and she would talk to me and I believed every word that she said and then as I would transition into a high school and things didn't weren't going my way I stopped believing my mum and I started not sometimes what people said I believed people's reactions and I started questioning the second looks yeah high school was tough and I really really struggled and I still had amazing family amazing friends but all of a sudden these demons started creeping within myself and yeah that natural celebration started to disappear and this is when you started to sort of think a repetitive thought, why me, why me? And those two words became a bit of a trap for you. You got kind of stuck in those words. How would that make you feel? I have quite an addictive personality. Um, and I became obsessed with why me? Why did I have to look like this? Why... Did I have to be born with Treacher Collins? Why did my birth parents? Why, while I was obsessed with that, why me? Nothing else mattered. Nothing else went in. Somebody would be like, even I'm learning about, P was my favourite subject. I'd be learning football drills. It wasn't going in because I'm still, why me? I had friends that would, I would have positive experiences in life, just hanging out with my friends. But again, I was still obsessed with this. Why me? Nothing else mattered. Nothing else was going in because I was like, why did I have to look like this? Why? And I I would look at my face and just ask myself, and why me? I would look up and why me? And I just never found the answer. I kind of made up a lot of answers because I wasn't getting any real answer. It was, but yeah. And, and that led to some coping mechanisms that weren't beneficial to you. So at this time, lying became a bit of a coping mechanism for you. Being like the clown and people laughing and you entertaining other people became a coping mechanism. It's fascinating how the brain works. It's looking for solutions all the time. It's looking for coping mechanisms but often they're just not the right ones. I can certainly see in my own life how I've used certain coping mechanisms to get through things. For instance, bulimia was a big coping mechanism for me. It wasn't a beneficial one, but it was a coping mechanism for a good 10 years until you realise, wait, this isn't working anymore. So talk to me a bit about that. How did you establish these new traits? What was the reaction you were getting from being outlandish and how did that make you feel? In life, when it comes to coping mechanisms, it's those spur-of-the-moment quick fixes. And you get a response and you're like, ooh, ooh, I like that. That's not what I'm used to. And I remember one of the first ones in high school, we started drinking. So we started having the house parties. And never been to a house party before. And I just heard about them. All my friends were going and I just heard about them. And one of my mates who were like, Jono, are you coming to this house party? And I was like, oh, I'm not being invited. And they were like, shut up, you're one of the boys. Of course you're invited. And I was like, well, I've not been invited. And they were like, Jono, you don't need to be asked. You just come in. And I was like, oh, okay. So 
I became obsessed with this this party. What, what happens? So I started doing a little bit of research through my friends. We drink. I'm like, well, what do you wear? On the way to the house party, we needed to buy some alcohol. And I hadn't really had much experience with alcohol other than drinking with my mum at home. Uh, it was like generations apart. No experience with alcohol. And I go into a shop. They're like, oh, we always get us alcohol. Here, don't worry about it. I was like, okay. So I walk up to lady and she was like, what do you want? And I was like, not got a clue. And all the spirits are behind her. So I literally scanned the spirits. That's in my price range. And I chose a bottle of whiskey. Oof. It's a, rough, it's a rough first one, guys. <laughs> and she turned around and she put it on the table and she was like, how many is this for? And I was like, oh, it's for a few of us. And she's like, oh, good, because this is strong stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's for a few of us. And she put it in a bag. I was like, I'm a whiskey. And I looked around and my friends, he's like, got some cheap cans of lager. Yeah, cider. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, what I should have done, we're paying, we go to this party. And at first, my first ever party, it was okay. You know, there were people on a PlayStation. There were people just hanging out, the lads with the lads, the girls with the girls. And I was like, oh, this is okay. And then the music got louder and people started drinking. And I just sat there clutching this whiskey, feeling so out of place, not knowing what to do, where I fit in. Um, Definitely, I wasn't very good at talking to or chatting up girls or anything like that. My friend came up and had a little bit of a check-in with me. He was like, oh, you're not drinking? Why aren't you open? What's going on? And I just sat there and he was like, oh, well, come on, give me a shot. So he took the whiskey off me and poured it into a bottle cap and he did a shot. I was like, oh, that's strong stuff. And I ended up doing it and it burned. Oh, oh it was just, rough. It was awful. <laughs> um, and, and then, you know, a few other people would have a shot of this whiskey and, and I would just sit there and I just sat there holding my bottle, just like, what what do I do? Where do I go? And I just, I, you know, I had little crushes on, you know, a certain girl and I was scared to talk and they were talking to boys and then all of a sudden the coupling started and I was like, oh, nobody. And again, this, why me? Why did I have to look like this? All of a sudden, nobody finds me attractive. And when I was going through high school, that nobody finds me attractive just took over my life. And so in that spur of the moment, I was like, look, hey guys, Opened my whiskey, stood up, and just downed this bottle of whiskey. And don't remember anything else of that night. And the following Monday at school, I went to school, and we all met up before school started. And everybody was like, oh, Jono, what, 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 what were going through your mind? And I was like, well, I was like, oh, you just downed this bottle of whiskey and you just passed out. We had to walk you around garden just to make sure you weren't dead. And I was, <laughs> and I was just like... Oh, right. And you just like, you fell downstairs and you passed out in front of the door. And I was like, and everybody was just talking about, oh my God, that's so cool. Are you coming to the next one? And I was like, ooh, I like that. That attention, oh, it was, it became addictive. And then it was, how do I get more of that? And then all of a sudden I went from thinking of why me to why me what else can I do? How else can I cope? What? And, yeah, I did some bad stuff in high school. So at what point did you realise that wasn't actually working and actually the attention, 
the furore around that and people's interest in you and these sort of legendary party tales, when did you realise that wasn't actually going to do the job and make you like yourself or make you feel better? Um, I, you know, I always had friends who were like, I, I would save money up and I would buy things for people. I got myself a really crap tattoo when I was 15, 16. I've got a few of them. <laughs> I've got um, more than a few of them. <laughs> we can compare up. those in a bit. God. Um, I mean, the guy ate a cheeseburger while he tattooed me. Oh, that's nice. How, yeah. how hygienic and, and lovely for you to smell that while you're having a tattoo done. My mum's got to eat. <laughs> <laughs> um, when did it stop? Like I said, I always had friends who were like, who recognise this. And I'm like, Johnny, you don't need to do that. You're one of the boys. You don't need to do that. But then I found myself, even in my 20s, when I used to go out, I would be like, oh, guys, I'll get the drinks. Didn't matter how much money or little money that I had, I went, guys, I'll get all the shots. I'll get this round in. And, and it became part of the... I never felt like I... Even though people were telling me you don't need to do this, I felt like I needed to do something to earn my invite, to earn my belonging... And I was like, I was paying my ticket to to be there, and that stayed with me up until my twenties. And I think it still creeps into my life, and it's something that I still have to work on. I know my value, I know my worth, I know my energy, and I add a lot to my friends' life. To whoever has the opportunity to interact with me, I know they are very, very lucky. But Every now and again, it creeps in. What's their motivation for being in my company? What do I? What else do I need to bring? What else, and, and and I have to talk to myself constantly. But the language that I use to talk to myself now has changed. That's important. That's it. And it, it might not seem like a big deal, but it's a huge deal to talk to yourself kindly rather than with a horrible acerbic voice or questioning who you are and why you are who you are. How did you make that shift? Because we've touched a little bit on your coping mechanisms here and the feelings of loneliness and the times where you didn't like yourself. But this got very severe. I mean, you were having suicidal thoughts. You didn't want to be around because you didn't know how to cope at points. And But you've, you've turned all of that around. So... When you were in that low, low place, I know there were things that got you out of that. And I think this is really important to talk about considering we know how high suicide rates are, especially for men still. And that many people feel like there isn't a way out. What was your way out of that mindset? When it came to suicidal thoughts, I, from a teenager, I always thought about death. And I always thought that I didn't belong in this world. And when I was struggling and I was trying to find answers, um, I, I'm, I I talk about it in the book, um, Country Roads, take me home to a place where I belong. And I believe that I didn't belong in our world. And, and I never acted upon it, but I wanted to get ill. I wanted to be in an accident. When I talk about it now, I mean, there's people that go through these tragedies. And I actually feel really, really guilty that at one point in my life, I wished 
that I would that would happen to me, but I just couldn't find any happiness. And it's funny because life did change, thankfully. And I would love to say that I did this, this and this, but I completely winged it. And it was purely by accident. But though I, I spent years not being able to look at my face. That was one of the coping strategies. Just don't see it. Just don't, you know, ignorance is bliss. Just don't acknowledge your face. And it was my face. Like, how do you not acknowledge your face? But I was just like, just don't look at it. Because I, as a kid, like, as a teenager, I would sit in the mirror and I would just sit like that for so long, hoping that some sort of muscle memory would kick in. Like, I could just make this better. I wouldn't be going through X, Y, Z. So I stopped looking through, I stopped looking in the mirror. And then by the time I was 21, I was working in the gym. And I went through this moment where at 21, life was okay, but I was still winging it. I became obsessed with food, obsessed with my body. I felt like I needed abs 24-7. And again, I was still struggling with attraction. And I thought, no girl's going to want to date me. And if some girl does manage to have the confidence of dating me, they're going to eventually have a conversation. Oh, I'm dating Jono. And then the girls are going to be like, why are you dating him? And then this girl's going to be like, oh, his face ain't all that, but his body's nice. And you know what? He'll do absolutely anything for me. So again, I'm like, these people pleasing. I didn't have any boundaries. Obsessed with my body. Uh, some beds, I used to run in the sauna to dehydrate myself. By the time we were in my 20s, I developed all these quick fixes, coping mechanisms that kind of helped in that moment. But for the long term, they were absolutely crushing me and they were ruining me. Found myself working in a gym that had some beds, that had sauna. So that was just feeding my my coping, unhealthy coping mechanisms. And one night, I'm not seeing my face, not even working in a gym, surrounded by mirrors, I've not seen my face in so long. And whenever you go to the gym, especially if you're working in a gym, you'll notice there's weights left everywhere. You know, people can use the weights, but they can't put them yeah, back. Yeah, put them back, you lazy sod. Yeah. <clears throat> but it's impossible. It's impossible. <laughs> so anyway, 21-year-old Jonathan had to put the weights back. And the weights were always in front of these giant mirrors from the floor to the ceiling. And putting the dumbbells away and I look at my trainers I love my trainers and I was like oh I like my trainers looked at me little sparrow legs and I was like oh, I got a nice set of pins saw my butt and I was like oh I got a cute butt I just trained chest and I'm wearing like an extra small t-shirt so I was like <laughs> oh and I'm on a roll trainers legs bum chest and normally I stop at my shoulders but I accidentally went up and I saw my face by accident and I looked at my face when I was 21 years old and I saw that I had blue eyes and I hadn't seen my blue eyes in so long. And I smiled and I was like, oh my God, I love the colour of my eyes. And as I smiled, I realised when I smile, I have one dimple at the side. And I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. And I just grinning like a Cheshire cat, staring at myself in this mirror, in this gym, just like, 
well, and it was an energy shift. I wouldn't say I'd made it, but oh my God, that was that was a powerful, powerful moment in my life. So from then on, things did start to progress. I've gone way off tangent, and we're talking about the suicidal thoughts. The 15 years that followed that moment of seeing my face, I filled my life up with adventure, with, with love, with self-love. And I will, I'll happily look at my face all day long and I will smile. And I've been kind to myself. I don't go to the gym as much as I obsessively. I'll train if I want to. I'll do yoga. I'll do Pilates. I've worked on my relationship with food. I'll have the biggest piece of cake, but sometimes I'll have um, some salad. It's the difference. Sometimes it's all my beer, uh, my ale and kale. Um, <laughs> think sometimes I'm full of ale. Sometimes I'm full of kale. I've been doing all this. And, you know, today I'm like, yeah, I love myself. But before COVID, so what, five years ago, I was on this. Everything I touched turned to gold. I was traveling all over the world speaking about self-love. And I was raising money for, for various charities that I support. People were listening to me. And I was happy. And then... A period of my life, um, a relationship ended. A friend passed away. My mum ended up in hospital. And then I, I ended up being in, in a car accident. And I started developing these panic attacks and this anxiety. And I was just consumed with pain and emotion. And my heart would race. And I knew everything about talking to people. I knew everything about being kind to myself, about rest, about checking in. But all of a sudden, I was just consumed with this anxiety. And it stayed with me. I went to the doctor. I ended up calling a paramedics one night. Because I couldn't shift. thought I was having a heart attack. And the paramedic sat me down on my sofa and he got me to breathe and it kind of went away. The following night, it happened again. So I sat myself down on the sofa and I did my breathing technique and it calmed down. It happened again, so I ended up in A&E. And I just couldn't shift this anxiety. And I thought something was wrong with me. So I went to A&E and he checked everything over. And I was in my little cubicle waiting. I was pacing around and it came over. And he was like, we've got your results back. We, we've had them for about 20 minutes or so. And I've just been watching you. It was like, is everything okay? And I'm just like, I'm just worried about my results. What, 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 is there anything wrong with me? And he's like, no, everything's fine. But from your body language, from my observations, what's going on in your life? And I was like, oh, nothing. I'm just worried about these, these results. And he's like, I want you to speak to your GP. I want you to do something about whatever it is going on in your life. I want you to do something about that. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I left, thanked him, got in my car. On my way home, bought some, a bottle of wine, some alcohol, some comfort food. It completely kind of ignored the advice of getting help. Drank my alcohol, watched 
a movie that was quite triggering, eventually fell asleep. And I remember waking up, because during this time, I would just cry, like, just with emotion, and I wanted the pain and the emotion to stop. And I eventually fell asleep, and then when I woke up, every time I woke up, all that pain, all that emotion would just come straight away, just come flooding back to me. And all of a sudden, I'm in, it's the middle of the night and I've woken up and I'm pacing around the house and I just wanted it to end and I didn't know how to end it. And during this time, on the news, somebody had taken their life and I became again obsessed with how, how did they find that thing that, was, that was, they were going to use to end their life? How did they get to that point? And I found myself in the kitchen looking at my knives and I was so scared to touch him. And thankfully it passed and I sat myself down on the sofa and I did my breathing and it passed. And, and that was when I thought I was in a good place and the, that was the closest that I'd come to acting or doing something and it terrified me. I'm incredibly lucky that I got through that moment. And the following day, um, I sent a big message to my friends. Um, uh, uh, it's, uh, these thoughts can create, even when you're on your highs, these things can kick in. And sometimes when things are going rough, like, oh, I'm going to see my therapist. I'm going to be kinder to myself. And we're actively working on ourselves but when things are going good we kind of forget all that and then all of a sudden you get a kick in the gut and it's like oh um so yeah whatever stay if you're happy or if you're sad if your life's amazing or if like you've got to do that checking with yourself you've got to be kind to yourself and that's where that self-love comes in it's such a important point because often we hear these stories or these stories are presented to us like this person was depressed or this person was suicidal and then there was a incremental gradual consistent ascent to feeling better but you're so right you can be high flying doing loads of stuff that feels really good like you say everything that you touch turns to gold and you're not putting the self-care in you're not doing the great self-talk because everything's going well and then when circumstances change and you don't have the coping mechanisms, that's a huge thing to go through. So I think it's so important to hear stories. And like you say, they're not just stories. This is your life. But to hear recounted tales of how you can be low, build your confidence, feel good and still go through something extremely heavy mentally and not only go through it, but come through the other side with new resilience and with new healing to be done. And that's a point that you make throughout the book, that at every turn when you face a challenge, there's more healing to be done. And just when you think, oh, yeah, I think I'm doing all right, there's another layer. Towards the end of the book, you talk about more recently a relationship ending and you're going, oh, wow, there's even more stuff for me to uncover here. And I think that's a mindset shift because you've got to be willing to see those challenges and those road bumps, and they can be pretty big road bumps, as a chance to learn and to peel back more layers. And that seems like you're 
you're always quite welcoming. Not, not that you want them in your life necessarily, but you're accepting of those moments because you know there's a chance to peel back more layers. Yeah, the um, one of my superpowers is sitting on those feelings and feeling and processing it. And then while I'm going through those, I'm like, I'm, I'm being kind to myself. When I'm facing whatever it is, okay, it's time to be kind to myself. Really extra kind to myself. Give myself love. Be, it might be a nice warm cup of coffee. It might have been a, a nice bubble bath. It might have been playing football and running around and kicking somebody in the leg. Whatever it is, but I'm being extra kind to myself. But the suicidal thoughts, I got through that. And, and it passed. And then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm cruising along in life again. And I'm like, oh, I've done more work. And, and that's great. I'm always doing that work. And life was good. I got into a relationship. And then it ended. And all of a sudden, I didn't go as bad as the suicidal thoughts. But, oh, I was crushed. And then all of a sudden, I was like, there's a pattern here with rejection. And I was like, oh, I've still got some work to do around rejection and abandonment. And I spoke to our good friend Jambo. Um, Lovely Jambo. Yes. And he got me working with my inner child. This is so interesting. So let me pick up on this because Jambo is a, is a brilliant meditation teacher, body worker, yoga teacher that he's done stuff for the Happy Place Festival and the Happy Place app and luckily you guys have now forged a friendship which makes my heart burst with joy but this inner child stuff is so interesting because you were telling me again personally about this stuff and about the techniques that that you use to get in touch with your inner child and I think this is something that everyone listening and I'm going to try this too could do so so tell me about this period of your life and how you connected with your inner child so this relationship we're going really really well and completely just ended and I, when I found that person pulling away, I found myself loving that person even more. And I think that was me trying to keep hold of something because I was like, why am I am this nice person who does all this goodness within myself? I'm a nice, and I know my value, and I know that I would be a great partner to somebody. And I was like, why am I being rejected again? And it, and 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 I was. I was struggling and I spoke to Jambo about it because all of a sudden I'm getting this low level anxiety it, it just it wasn't a panic attack but it was just every day low level anxiety it was like I was waiting to be hung it was just there constantly so I sat down with Jambo and he was like I want you to start working on your inner child and I want you to visualize him I want you to spend time with him and um, you can use a photo and spend time with them. Love him, talk to him. I was like, okay, I'm going to start doing that. So then I did it my way. So I got one of my old teddies, um, an old zippy teddy with a big blue eye. I found him in a charity shop in Brighton, just on the floor. He's, he's quite big, and I was like, well, he's all on his own, so I'm like, I need, I need to take him home. Um, so I took him home, and he's he's been with me ever since. And I put one of my old rugby jerseys on, on him, one that I used to wear when I used to cheer for my local rugby team. And uh, this became Little Jay. 
and little Jay went everywhere with me. And the first time I did it, I was doing a photo shoot up in Newcastle. It was a two-hour drive. So I sat him in the passenger seat. I had my coffee and my snacks. And off we went. And I put my music on. And I went straight into it. I was like, why do we always keep on getting rejected? Where this amazing soul, why? Listening to my music, I'm crying. Like, honestly, I was, I was unprepared for it. And I had this light bulb moment. I was like, you know what? We have attracted so much goodness, so many amazing people in our life, so many amazing experiences. Yes, rejection sucks, but we also attract. And by the time I got to this photo show, like from a crying face, and I was like, oh my God, what has just happened to me? But Lil J... He's at the train station in train station car park at the moment. Oh, is he? Yeah. Um, so this is a lovely practice that you can just keep up forever. Got, when I was writing the book, he sat with me. I did an, an event and I took him along to an event with me. And I've I've interpreted it my way. And Lil Jay goes, he's, he's in the car. With, I find him useful in the car. And then sometimes he gets out and sits with me. Even other people, they've made him a drink and brought him a donut. <laughs> And I'll pinch you should have brought him here. I would have quite liked to have him sat here. Um, he's coming to Happy Place Festival. Oh, good. <laughs> um, so everybody's going to meet him at Happy but Place Festival. It's such a lovely... Because it's tangible. It's a visual representation of you as a child. We've all got pain from the past. It might not even be childhood, but it can be a younger version of yeah. ourselves. I know that I gave myself, maybe in my early 20s, a very hard time, tried to reject that part of myself and I've equally tried to heal that and really like that version of myself and see where she's gotten me to and what I've learned from her I think we underestimate how much pain comes from the past and those younger versions and how much we reject those younger versions of ourselves it's it's so so important Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. I want to go back to this broader theme of self-love because to me, you are the expert at this and it's why I love working with you and it's why I'm so happy you've written this book. And I know that the amount of people that you've helped globally, not only in the facial equality area, but just generally helping people to find self-acceptance. I know there'll be people listening to this podcast right now who will be thinking, I don't know how. How do I like myself? People that are in self-loathing, people that don't like very specific things about them. It might not be a physical thing. It could be some, a regret, something they did in the past, a decision that they've made. How do you begin to cultivate that peace and that acceptance with yourself? People like do look for like the big answer. Like, What is the answer to self-love? And I, I mean, the starting point is like, I changed the word like to love. Let's find these loves. But it's making sure we're hydrated. And not a big thing for me was relaxing my shoulders, mm. taking a deep breath, looking Breathing. up. This is the one for me. It sounds so basic. 
I hold my breath all the time yeah. because I'm scared. And when I go, breathe, it's all right. Like, it's okay. You're so right. That is tuning yeah. into being kind to yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have physio on a, a monthly basis. And he'll work on different parts of my body. And he always goes onto my neck and my shoulders. Mm. And he was like, what's been going? And I have not. I carry my tension yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. And I hold my breath and I'm, I'm tense. Yeah. So that self-love is... Letting yourself relax. Yeah. What a beautiful thought. And I loved it on Instagram recently, it was 2021, you set yourself a challenge to find something that you love about yourself every day. You did this for how many days in the end? Um, I got 170 out of the full year. And this is, again, something you're encouraging everyone to do on Instagram. And it's a really good way of getting this message out there in a practical way. Because at the end of the day, like you say, there's no big one answer. But it does take discipline and it does take practice to get in the mindset of liking yourself, of loving yourself, of accepting yourself. So I think that's a really lovely thing for anyone to try. If you write it down in a journal, if you put a note in your phone, maybe you want to share it on Instagram as well. But getting into the habit of every day noticing something you like about yourself. Did you find that period quite boosting, getting into that daily habit? That daily habit. So it started on a Valentine's Day years and years ago. I was sat down writing the all the things I loved and admired about somebody. And I was like, oh my God, I can't wait to give it to this person. You know, like imagining the look of on the face. <laughs> and I was like so giddy and so excited. And and I'm just like, hold on, why don't I do this for myself? So all of a sudden in that moment, I wrote a list of things that I loved about myself. And I was like, ooh. <laughs> you know what I mean? You were just like a little moment. I was like, ooh, I That's like that. It's a great that. feeling. And then so all of a sudden, it became... I used to hate Valentine's. I used to hate Valentine's, especially through those teenage years when you were at school. They all had the big cards walking around and I was like, it just never happened for me. So I always struggled with Valentine's and this was just like a big energy shift and like, I'm, I'm going to use it for me, that self-love. It's going to be a self-love holiday. So Valentine's, it, that was my tradition. And then I was like, ooh, why don't I do this every single day for the year? So I set the challenge up and... It was hard. Straight When I started it, it, it was daily. I found so many things. Started on the physical things, the silly things. Um, and then all of a sudden I started going with inside. And I revisited all areas of my life. I did revisit little Jay and his dodgy bowl cut and <laughs> the love of Celine Dion and meatloaf. And oh my God, um, I, I went through. But there were times when I was just like, I didn't have the energy. Oh, I didn't have, it's like, I don't know, we say, oh, you need to exercise, you need to eat well. But by doing it every day, you need rest days. And yeah. I found that I needed rest days by doing this. And oh my God, that year, I shared it on Instagram and I still get the memories. Some of the things that I was revisiting and the memories that I went through, it was like, I was changing my outlook on negative experiences mm. and trying to take positives from them and like I'd been through so much and I've actually come out on the other side and this is when we talk about the not all heroes wear capes we which is the great title of your brilliant book I should add the the team I, I wanted to call it something else but the team came up with this 
It's a great it's name. Brill- and I absolutely love it. And and my friends were like, oh, you're calling yourself a hero. And I was like, no, this is totally not. But yes, I am in a but not in the way <laughs> that they're thinking. I was like, I am my own biggest hero. Yeah. And I on social media, I asked everybody who the who the heroes were in their lives. And people like my mum, my dad, my kids, my friends, um, a doctor, so many amazing heroes and right, incredible people. And then I asked them the following day, what are some of the things that you've overcome in your life? And people shared like so many stuff with me. I feel incredibly, People sh- when people share that personal information with mm. me, that's, that's I'm incredibly honoured that people trust me. And these so many like have overcome so much and then on the third day i was like you shared your heroes and you shared all this stuff that you've overcome and not a single one of you said that you're your biggest hero and i want you to start looking at yourself as being the biggest hero in your life Mm. because yes somebody might have given you that love and they might have given that guidance but You've got to take those steps. You've got to put yourself out there. You've got to be open to whatever it is. And um, that self-love journey, I was definitely recognising some of the things that I'd overcome. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's an amazingly powerful mental shift to think like that. Something else that I really wanted to talk to you about today is I know something you've been talking about a lot recently for very good reason. And it's a very important subject that I think gets hugely missed. You do a lot of brilliant charity work and Facial Equality International is pushing all of this gorgeous messaging also about self-love and acceptance, but also looking at the awful side of things when it comes to discrimination and looking at the subtle ways, or they're not even that subtle, but the things that have been normalised that we don't recognise that are frankly wrong. And one of the subjects that you've been really hot on is Hollywood and TV making and filmmaking. So tell me a bit about this campaign and what you would like to see changed. When I was a child, I looked, when I was obsessing of the why me, why did I have to look like this? People are lucky enough to play football, be an actor, be a singer, be good at maths, um, be popular at school. Why did I have to look like this? I looked everywhere for hope, everywhere for some positive image, something that would give me the light at the end of the tunnel. And I couldn't find anything. You know, I looked at the sports teams and there was always all these footballers they were always looked up to and admired and I was like oh, there's nobody there with a difference you know I, I couldn't see that so then I turned to music and film and there was nobody there with a visible difference that was seen as a positive thing they all the only th- people that I found that had visible differences were the villains like James Bond for example so many villains had visible difference scars burns um, and it was just it's just a common thing but this is still happening today like this was obviously prevalent when we were kids but there's not much change nothing's changed even the latest james bond um i've still used a villain with visible differences and it's always the bad guy always a bad guy and i love 
the Joker. I think he's a brilliant character. And I think, you know, it's okay at times for the bad guy to have a visible difference. But we also need a better balance. We need positive role models on the big screen with visible difference. Or even just like playing a cop or playing the hero, playing the lover, playing just the... It just needs to be a better balance and a better representation. Like... I saw Edward around in my teenage years and I connected with Edward so much. He was in this house on his own um, and he was invited into this family, given the second chance of having a family. And I was like, oh my God. And I just, I love Ed, I love Edward. And the people fell in love with him in his, in his community and in his village. And... And then my first crush was Winona because she falls in it. She falls <laughs> mm-hmm. in love with Edward, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is just beautiful!" I was like, crying, I was like proper crying when I'm watching this film. I was like, "Oh my god, this is amazing! I finally found somebody that's a positive role model on the big screen." And then he ends up back on his own in his house, and it absolutely crushed me. I was like, "Why did he have to end up on his own again?" Like. Why couldn't I know they're like, oh, every time it snows, I always think he's there. And I was like, but he just crushed me that he ended up being on his own again. And we have, I guess, the closest example that I have of a positive, visible difference is is Deadpool. And I cried at Deadpool. Do you want me to tell you why I cried at Deadpool? Always. It's crude. You can say crude stuff. There's no rules here. Okay. We've had all sorts happen on here. Oh, my God, Jono. Uh, So, Deadpool, brilliant, funny, badass, cool guy. Um, And then he's burnt, and he has his burns. And then there's a part where, in the film, he's walking behind the lost touch with his girlfriend. And he's walking behind her. He's got his hood up. And he wants to talk to her, but she hasn't seen his face, and he's scared. And he's like, oh, I can't. And then all of a sudden he starts hearing the voices of, oh, they're talking. They're laughing about me. And he eventually runs away and doesn't speak to her. Eventually becomes Deadpool and he's got the mask on. Right at the end of the film, they are face to face. And he opens up his mask and she sees his mouth. And she's looking at him. And then he pulls his mask off. And he's like, so... What do you see? What do you think? And she looks at him and she's like, okay, shocked at first, but it's still a face I'd love to sit on. (laughs) And it's so crude, but I'm like sobbing my eyes out. I'm like, oh my God, that's the most beautiful thing that anybody's ever said. (laughs) And and it was just like, we need more of that. Yeah. Of somebody in the public eye saying, yep, I find you sexy, attractive. You're a hero, you're a lover, you're a positive. Um, so, yeah, Hollywood, the big screen, they need to do better. They need to do better. 100%. They need to do better. And the campaigns that you've been running and pushing, and I mean, I urge everyone to go and check out Face Equality International. We'll put all of these links in the in the copy yeah. and we'll talk about it on Instagram as well because there's some brilliant work being done there and it's it's so, so, so important. And I just want to thank you because not only is it, it's always amazing to hear you speak, you know, seeing you speak at the Happy Place Festival, people were coming out whooping, people coming out crying, you know, it, you really connect with people when you're telling your stories and 
And I think people listening to this will walk away and really question why they don't like bits about themselves and challenge those thoughts because they're all challengeable. Every single one of those nasty thoughts that we all have about ourselves, they're all challengeable. And and the book is testament to that. Your own beautiful storytelling about your life is testament to that. So thank you for encouraging all of us to find self-acceptance and self-love. And thank you so much for being on the podcast, Jono. Thank you again, Fen, for for everything and you know one of the things that i absolutely love and it, it happened at happy place it's happened today human connection yeah and we've lost that mm-hmm. in our life we're so obsessed with social media uh, dating working socializing with friends it's all done online or we hide out away um, in our homes but i found that when i connect with another human being Magic happens, amazing things happen, and that happened at Happy Place. And I was walking around Happy Place just giving random people hugs. Oh, you got so many hugs. And it was just like... It's outrageous. I'm sure you got more. But... No, no, I don't think I did. I really <laughs> don't, don't think I did. You definitely got more. <laughs> we'll start a tally this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm but, you know, honestly, thank you. thank you so much. And just, I can't wait for your book to be out there for everyone to read it. Oh, me too. Ah, oh, Jono, I bloody love you, Jono. I cannot express how grateful I am to you for sharing so much of yourself because, as I said, this self-love stuff might feel like second nature to Jono now, but every time he shares what he's learned, he's just helping so many people. So, Jono, please don't stop talking and telling us your story. It is so impactful. Jono's book, Not All Heroes Wear Capes, that I'm so proud we're publishing on Happy Place Books, is out on the 20th of July. If you haven't already, do listen to the Happy Place episode with lovely Jambo, by the way. Jambo, who Jono has now become great friends with, I'm very happy to say. We recorded that episode with all of you lovely lot at the Happy Place Festival last year, and it was just the most joyful hour. I'll be back here next week, but in the meantime, come and tell us what you love about yourself. Shout about it from the rooftops. It can be something small but significant. Tell us on Instagram. We're at Happy Place Official. So I want to say a massive thanks again to brilliant Jono, to the producer, Anushka Tate, and to you. You're the best. Now go love yourselves. Okay, just jumping in here to let you know that this episode is brought to you in partnership with Comic Relief. Red Nose Day is back on Friday the 15th of March and this year it's time to do something funny for money. Whatever you do this Red Nose Day, make it fun, have a right old laugh and get together to raise some all-important cash. Your donation could help tackle the serious business of providing shelter for those that need it and safe spaces for those in danger, supporting food banks and helping to support families affected by conflict and climate change in the UK and around the world. Please give what you can this Red Nose Day to help to put food on plates and roofs overheads. Keep little ones safe and help support families in crisis. 
Text PODCAST to 70205 to give £5 today. That's the word PODCAST to 70205 to donate £5. Text cost your donation amount plus your standard network message charge and 100% of your donation will go to Comic Relief, a registered charity. You must be 16 or over and please ask the bill payer's permission. For full terms and conditions, visit comicrelief.com forward slash ACAST.